Hello and welcome to From the Rookery and brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John, with me is Mike. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah. Hello, and Jason. Hi there. And uh, this is, gentlemen, our 10th anniversary week of podcasts. Amazing. We, we, we haven't aged 10 years, have we, <laughs> Michael? But it takes my hair 10, 10 years to, to grow. Well, to well, 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 look, we started this podcast 10 years ago. Neither of you had hair back then. You still don't now. <laughs> no, we may not look 10 years older. Uh, clue, we do uh, look 10 years older. But just looking back on it, crikey, we've we've certainly aged in, in footballing terms, haven't we? It's, uh, we've seen some stuff over the last decade. The last podcast you would have heard was us looking back over those 10 years. We did our top 10 of all the seasons we've covered. And, you know, they, there was a lot that we covered. But this podcast is, is, is two sort of separate interviews that really show off the two different sides sides of what we've tried to do with From the Rooker End. The first one is with Nick Cox, who is the former academy boss at Watford, who we've had on the podcast many, many times when he was at the club. And the other one is, is Barry from Watford. Uh, and I think the two things sort of <laughs> show our, our size of one being interested in the depth of our club and the other one is having fun as football fans. But we'll get to Barry a bit later on. Jason, we're going to be speaking or Mike spoke to Nick a, a few weeks ago uh, about being a head of academy at Watford. But, you know, the youth side of Watford was such an important thing, wasn't it? Such a big thing at Watford when we first started doing these podcasts. Absolutely. And one of my favourite podcasts, I I remember, I was going up to the training ground to do a pod, watch the the youth team in action. And I have this distinct memory of, uh, I think it was Adam Thompson, wasn't it? Who uh, was suspended. It was a cold day. And there he was. Turning up anyway to to watch his teammates in his shorts. <laughs> yeah, he was ready, ready to go on, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. But it's that sort of dedication that you 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 got from him and from the team, and how much they sort of wanted to play for for Nick and the rest of the academy staff. And you knew you got that sense of how important the, the academy was and how encouraged and enthused the the lads that were part of the academy were. The best thing about that uh, podcast, Jason, I don't know what it is, it's, it's season season one, one point something or another, um, was as I think we first started recording, I think Sean Murray scores a goal. I'll have to go back and listen, but it was, <laughs> what, 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 you know, I feel like talking about that, you know, these future stars of Watford, which they really, really were at that point, and they were always going to be, weren't they, Mike? Yeah, we we really had to cling on to it back then, though, didn't we? We we were definitely proud as Watford supporters that there were so many um, youth prospects coming through the team, and we did excitedly chatter about how that how that what they might go on to achieve. Sean Murray, in particular, was one of them, and yeah, it was it was exciting, and there was other stuff going on at the club, but this was something that we could really cling on to, and it was great to talk to people like Nick not just back then, but but throughout our, our career of doing this, this this podcast, A, to realise that there were such good people doing such important work at Watford. But just looking back, it was so important that they were there doing that that work because if they if they weren't, if they weren't delivering the in the incredible way they did, who knows where Watford would be would be sat today. You know, the, the management and, and Nick and those team did and Nick and his team did incredible work in making sure that they had players and men and boys who were ready to step into the fold when needed and basically preserve Watford's championship status and looking back on it perhaps preserving or certainly setting the pave setting the foundations for for where Watford are today it's just incredible everywhere you look back over the last 10 years there's plenty of sliding doors moments and i think the fact that we had people like Nick and and people like Adam Thompson good um good young professionals at that time working hard for obviously for themselves but working hard for the for the football club as well so yeah just looking back very very fond memories very very different times and it's it's just great to look back on it 
The, we actually meant to speak to Nick purely for our 100 Objects episode, you would have heard a few weeks ago, where he particularly spoke about this team sheet from uh, Watford in the third round of the FA Cup at home to Hartlepool, where there were seven Watford Academy graduates in, the, in that team. But actually, Mike, you, you, know, you interviewed him and it turned into something so much more than that. And that's why we sort of wanted to separate it and play the whole interview that we did with him. Yeah, Nick's had such a, an incredible career. And Nick is he's currently working with, with Man United. He's head of the academy there and he, he joined there from Sheffield United. He actually spent 12 years in various roles at, at Watford with the final six years um, at the top of the the academy network and he, he finally left in, in 2012. And as we've mentioned and as you'll hear in the interview, he did incredible work and he's got very, very fond memories of his time there. I mean, it was overshadowed by spells of financial uncertainty as we'll, we'll all remember, but it was also a very special time for, for Watford and evidently a special time for, for Nick as well. So, yeah, the chat was just, it spawned lots of different memories and, and elements about Nick's career and about what life was like at Watford back then. A fascinating listen. And, you know, thank you so much to Nick for giving up uh, giving up his time. I'm sure you guys will enjoy it as much as we did. Nick, we're here to talk about a very special team sheet that's going to go into our 100 objects. Before we crack on, can you remember the team sheet we're talking about, just to double check? So I remember the team sheet. I can remember the game. I could probably give you the date. Could I name every single player that was on it? Maybe we'll put it to the test. <laughs> we'll get to that. OK, uh, that's good. Sure. That's, uh, that's thing one ticked off the list. You know what we're talking about, which is excellent. So we'll get to that in a second. But it's been a little while since you were at Watford. A lot of things have changed since then for you and uh, Watford, of course. Just a quick update. How are things at Manchester United, which is where you are now, of course? I cannot complain. It's wonderful. Yeah, I'm thoroughly enjoying life. We were just uh, chatting, actually, before we started recording about... I've been on the journey that we've tried to help all of our kids go on. So I had a left Watford in December 2012 and spent some time at Sheffield United, which was wonderful. And then obviously four years ago, almost to the day, had the opportunity to move to Manchester United. So I've, I've been on that kind of upward curve, as it were. It's a, it's a real different insight into the world of uh, developing young players. You've been on almost as an exciting journey as uh, as we have watching Watford over the last couple of years. But so with the game we're going to talk about, Nick, was in 2011. It was an FA Cup match against Hartlepool but just can we just set a little bit of context around the football club at that time of course it was a very very different time uh, you were nearing the end of your Watford journey so you'd seen a whole heap of stuff in a whole heap of different roles at Watford but back then in 2011 what was it like at Watford what was the what was the story there then very very different from how things are now and it's quite interesting, actually. I, I regularly keep in touch with a lot of people that were there around that time. And we kind of refer to it as a bit of a the, the untold magical story that no one's ever really heard because the things that were happening were borderline miracles. So the club had uh, a serious amount of debt, no external investment. So the word that was used a lot was organic. Whatever we were going to spend, we had to have generated ourselves. We were at constant risk of administration. I cannot remember exactly the date, but you guys probably will. I remember going to bed one Friday night, fully expecting, um, you remember the whole Russo yeah. Brothers statements on, on Sky Sports, fully expecting the yellow bar the following morning to tell me that the club didn't exist anymore. I remember vividly saying goodbye to staff on the Friday night, not expecting to be back by the Monday. Wow. Um, our method of trying to get out of the pickle that we were in it was very much around cutting back everywhere we possibly could across the club but investing in the academy so the academy was going to be held to account to try and produce young players that could play in the team and generate some revenue 
and then a transfer plan that was very much around signing players like Danny Graham, Will Buckley, who were perhaps unknowns with potential, perhaps with a little bit of baggage that we needed to fix, buy them for not very much, hope that they could contribute to our journey and then hope that they could go on themselves to have a, a move that would help us to be sustainable. So we were living life on the edge. I think the budget that Malky Mackay had would have been a League One budget. We potentially should have been finishing bottom of the championship. Um, and for several years in a row under Malky and under Sean, we managed to finish what would appear to everybody else a pretty unglamorous, whatever it was, somewhere between 12th and 14th, five years on the bounce. Nothing but inside the camp, it was like, wow, this is a miracle. We are achieving. This is amazing. And I have to say it was possibly the most fun I've ever had turning up to work. It was incredible. There was a group of United staff who knew what the plan was. Everybody knew that we had a duty to try and help survive and continue. We had all sorts of circus acts going on around, but there was a group <laughs> of core staff that needed to just get on with the plan, hold their nerve, be brave. And, it, you know, it was a lot of fun. And I met some wonderful people. So reading between the lines, the pressure was really on you guys then in, in terms of the academy, no money knocking around, no money to spend on players. It was all eyes on, on you for this organic creation of players. So let's forward wind to the game we're talking about, Watford v Hartlepool in the FA Cup. We have said what's special about this team sheet, this this team, this this squad really. It wasn't just the, the starting eleven because there was some uh, on the subs bench as well. But what was so special about this uh, about this team, Nick? That was the most amount of academy graduates that we managed to get into a squad and on the pitch at any given moment in time during my my time there. I wonder possibly potentially in the club's history actually. I wouldn't know for sure, but certainly during the period of time that we were there. Um, it was the most we managed to get on the pitch. Okay. Yeah, seven in the starting lineup and maybe eleven in the in the squad, and some of those that were on the bench managed to get on the pitch as well. Um, so it was a pretty special day. So let's put you on the spot again. Let's see if you can tick them off. Oh, wow. Okay. So Marvin Sordell and Piero Mingoya would have scored that day. I think. Yep. Potentially they started. If I try and think from back to front. Uh, maybe Mary Apple was playing. He was, he was captain. Was Lloyd Doyley would have been in the team. Lloyd, he was playing, yeah. We would have had, wow, did Matt <laughs> Wichelow play that day? He did, he did. Did Dale Bennett play that day? He did indeed. Ross Jenkins? Ross Jenkins, so that's all the starting seven. I promise you I didn't do any revision there, it's just come to me. <laughs> and then um, substitute-wise, no, go on, you've got the better of me there, you'll have to share the substitutes. So and Gavin Massey? Those lads. Oh, Gavin Massey, yeah, of course. Adam Thompson. Yes. Didn't Eddie O'Shoddy. And Sean, Sean Murray. I can't believe I've forgotten yeah. him. Just reading them out there and just listing them. Seven on the pitch, four on the four on the bench. It's, it's an extraordinary accomplishment for you. You must have felt very, very proud. When did you realise that there was going to be that number of, of players featuring? Uh, probably the day before. Malky would have started to shape up the team with set pieces and, and maybe some patterns of play. And kind of new starts to ripple that, wow, this looks like this is going to be his team. Actually named the team till the following day, but it became pretty clear and there was quite a buzz around the training ground. It was quite nice actually at that moment in time because quite often when one young kid, at certain clubs, when a young player makes his debut, there's a lot of jealousy. But at the time at Watford, it, there was this amazing celebration. So if a kid was making his debut or someone getting was picked, news would ripple around the canteen. If he's playing, he's playing. It looks like he's playing. So, and I can remember that happening the day before, that there was this real buzz, a real special kind of camaraderie amongst the homegrown lads. And also, there was a real understanding. I remember Aidy Mariapa was like a custodian for us. He would educate the new players about 
this is how you treat the young boys around here. Because there potentially at some clubs there might be a tendency to pick on the young lads, make life difficult, test mm. them out, see if you can make them demonstrate they're worthy to be in the team. But at Watford it was very much, no, you like you look after this lot, you help them, you they are going to be the lifeblood of the club. So I remember Aidy Marriapper then was kind of a, more of a senior player and he would be educating Danny Graham and Will Buckley about this is how we treat the, the young boys. So yeah, it was a it was a real buzz. It's lovely to hear. It's lovely to imagine that sort of excitement rippling through the the training round. Who would have who would have actually told these these youngsters, um, Nick, that they were going to be starting? Would it be Malky? Yeah, absolutely. That would have been Malky. I, I don't think he was one that used to name the team on the day. I think, but he may well have been picking off individual conversations with certain boys. Uh, you know, he'd used his judgment there to decide which ones could handle knowing about it the day before, and which ones couldn't. There's an element to think that just turning up on the day and being in the team is sometimes more beneficial to a young player so they don't have a night's worth of worry the day before but yeah Malky would have been and, and Daishi would have been his assistant and would have worked with these boys in the youth team so they'd have been kind of deciding upon the best approach I mean well, a I supporter we went one down didn't we so I think so yeah and ended up winning winning yeah. 4-1 I mean as supporters yeah, Nick so. this was a really exciting time for us and it, it made us quite proud as, as Watford fans and I think part of it was through necessity we had to have something to, to cling on to and just seeing our, our homegrown players coming through was was a source of, of real pride Did was that reflected did, did Malky he sort of uh, say his appreciation and the other managers you work with and the and the club sort of hierarchy did that filter back down to you I know you were obviously would take pride in it um, as a professional but did you get the recognition that, that perhaps you, you deserve for, the, for that sort of thing I think the special thing was that it it didn't feel like it was the academy's job to produce players it felt like it was a whole club commitment to try and mm. stick to a plan so when kids were making debuts it was a shared celebration I think you mentioned earlier there that the pressure was on the academy. We had to produce players, we had to generate revenue. But the real pressure was on the managers. We were, particularly Malkia and then Daishi, we were asking them to go and win games and compete with inexperienced players and, and, and pretty much a youth team. So Daishi, in effect, there, he would have been the assistant that day. All of those players were his youth team two years before, all playing in the same side. They were the ones taking the real pressure because their jobs potentially could have been on the line. Although I strongly believe that had we stuck to the plan, got kids in the team, generated revenue and got relegated, I think those guys would have would have kept their job because the plan was mm. so strong. It came from the top. Julian Winter was very much key in driving that plan that was designed between him and John Stevenson. Perhaps those people don't ever get talked about in the history of Watford Football Club, but they, they played an amazing role in a period of time where I genuinely believe the club could have gone under. And we like to think that that model is no longer suitable for Watford now, mm. but we like to think it might have paved the way for a bit of stability that made the place an attractive place to eventually invest in. So, yeah, I, you know, we all took great pride in, in what was happening and it was a collective approach. I just want to pick up on, on the careers of, of these guys, Nick, very, very briefly, and just pick out one, one chap in particular. Most of these guys went on to have a, have a really good career. Some of them didn't necessarily hit the heights that, that we as supporters thought they would. Uh, interesting to see Matty Wichlow was, was held up as, as as the great hope at one stage and he's probably the one that didn't kick on. But he got international capped, I noticed, when I was uh, doing a bit of uh, reading up on him earlier. So everyone in some way or another went on to, to forge a good career. It's, this is a guy you mentioned earlier, um, Nick. Marvin Sordell, he did really well for Watford and then had issues on the pitch. And But he's obviously proved himself to be an incredibly impressive 
uh, young man doing a lot of different things in the game and and for mental health and so on and so so forth. Obviously, your job is to is to create professional footballers that go on and be successful. But does that almost give you as much pride as anything when you see someone like Marvin go on to do what what he's done? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we talk about these boys that were in that match day squad. They are still the minority of the boys that we were working with. We were working mm. with 150 boys. And the message to all of these kids was, look, there's one opportunity, but there's no guarantees. That was a mantra that we had. And we used to talk about better people, better players, better grades. We were really clear with, with all of the boys that we're going to have an amazing time here. We're going to help you reach your full potential. You might debut, and there's probably more a chance of you debuting at Watford under these current circumstances than at any other club. And that's going to be great fun. But actually, the process that you're going to go through in order to reach your full potential is going to give you a platform in life. So we're just as proud of the guys that didn't make it and that didn't cross the line at Vicarage Road, but have gone on to achieve wonderful stuff. Marvin will be one of them. There's plenty of boys whose names you wouldn't recognise, who I'm still in contact with, who I'm just as proud of, who are PE teachers and coaches and financial advisors and whatever. You go, yes, we played a part in helping them to get ahead of their mates, really. You know, the experience they had with us gave them a platform to go and hopefully be a success as an adult, regardless of whether they're a footballer or not. So Marvin Yett would be incredibly proud of him. He had a he had a really good career on the pitch. He generated some money for the club under some very difficult circumstances. I think Lawrence Bassini would have sold him kind of last minute on a transfer deadline yeah. day in strange circumstances. To see what he's done since in terms of giving back to the game and spreading a really important message and being an ambassador in his own right is really quite rewarding. And uh, yeah, fair play to him. It's it's great to hear, Nick, that, that, that such stock is placed on, on the human side of things. Do you think there's... Is that harder nowadays? I mean, we were only talking, what, less than 10 years ago, but is there a, a higher expectation? Um, there's, there's more money in the game now than there was even then. Is there more pressure from parents? Is there more people, you know, with the social media generation? Are players having higher expectations earlier? And is that is that tougher to manage, do you think? Yeah, it's getting so much more difficult, and it's one of my real big concerns. I think Watford... Very strangely, we all were kind of wired up in a way of working that was driven by Graham Taylor. And he was a people-first kind of guy, wasn't he? Mm. It was all about the person, the head of the footballer. And we all knew that that was our duty to behave that way and that was the environment we created for our young players. Fast forward 10 or so years, you were seeing boys enter academies at a much younger age. We're seeing the programmes become incredibly professionalised. There is an influence of agents... There is greater expectation from parents. There's more kids involved in academies than ever before, which naturally means the dropout rate is even greater. And then at the end of the journey, the, the opportunity is harder to come by because the money in the game means winning, winning at all costs is prevalent and people are less likely to take a chance on young players. So it, it's getting harder and harder. And, you know, that's why Marvin's story is even more pertinent because I, I fear is collateral is not a word I like to use but I'm going to use it it'll be mm. great a collateral for people that don't create 
programs with the person at the centre of it. And I think it's interesting that you picked up on the on the Watford model, Nick, and you said that it's not one that would be appropriate now. And I think you meant that in as much as they they don't need to rely on it, which is which is a positive thing. But Watford have sort of almost in in as many words says that that producing youth players to to or, or placing a high level of hope on players coming through the youth team to play in the in the Premier League is difficult and is, is, is quite frankly unlikely and, and obviously Watford are relatively unique in as much as they have a very, very extensive scouting network. So how do you see things at Watford and, and how, the, how that fits in with, with youth football? I saw this morning, just looking on Twitter, that they announced, you know, an eight-year-old joined, joined the academy to presumably start with their, their under nine signed a contract. So where's the, what's the balance? How, how does youth football fit in these days in, in this country? It's up for each club to design where they think youth fits within their strategy or their plan. Uh, I was saying, wasn't I, that youth has always been a kind of a central pillar at Watford long before I was there and long before I had the privilege of, of leading the department. But obviously things fundamentally changed in through 2012. Uh, and I, I left with no animosity whatsoever. I knew that the plan we had was fit for purpose to get us through a period of time. But then obviously we had some external investment and they created a new plan. And it was a wonderful plan because, and it, it wasn't a plan that necessarily I was excited about from a personal point of view because it didn't involve my world, didn't involve my skill set. But we were never ever going to get promoted to the Premier League in a self-sustainable way using young players and buying players from a lower league to try and help them get into the first team and then sell them. We were never going to get there. The, our plan was a survival plan. Can we stay in the championship? Graham Taylor was always big on. We, we are a top 30 club. If we can aim to finish in the top 30, we'll be all right. So we knew that the top half of the championship was was great for us. We might overachieve by accident and get promoted, but that was never really by design. We knew we were surviving. So the plan that the Pottsos kind of brought to Watford was a really wonderful plan. Just a different tact. Can they combine youth with that approach of having a worldwide scouting system uh, and having the resource to be able to go and buy um, kind of young talent with real high potential at the ages of 19, 20, 21? Can you add youth to that? I don't know. Maybe they don't want to. So I, it's for me, it's about each club working out what, what suits them at any given moment in time. Um, and equally successful in the last however many years since I left, eight, ten years. Why would you do anything other than what you're doing? It's proving to be something that is working and something that the fans are loving. And you mentioned earlier, didn't you, that number one fans want to win. If your team doesn't win every week, you end up looking for the next thing to celebrate, which mm. is we've got the best pie, we've got the flattest pitch, <laughs> we've got whatever it might be. You see, all these clubs have got something to celebrate. But actually, you want to win. So I, I do think that there was a period of time where we were really celebrating academy players, and I never forget the hairs on the back of my neck going up when everyone's singing. He's one of one of our own. That we that was the first time I'd heard that song actually when Sean Murray made his debut. Yeah, and the, we were celebrating that like we'd won the league. But as soon as you realise that you can compete on the pitch and win every week, you, you're less possessive about that kind of other thing to get excited about. Um, so things change over time and. Uh, it's cool and it'll be really interesting to see how things 
unfold in the next 10 years, won't it? Just just to go back, Nick, to your, your time at the club, and you mentioned Graham Taylor there and the club he built and the ethos he built, and we're, we're still very, very proud of that. It means a lot to us as, as Watford Sports, and I think um, the new era has, has continued with, with Graham Taylor's philosophy and ethos still very much at its heart. But when you were at the club, Nick, you dealt with some quite big characters, didn't you? Brendan Rogers was there, uh, Sean Dyche obviously has gone on to, to Burnley, Malky Mackay, A.D. Boothroyd, Mark Warburton was there as well, I think, when in, in some capacity when you Absolutely. were there. Yeah. So, Watford either lucky or is it or is it the setup at Watford? Is there something inherent in in Watford's sort of DNA that allows them to attract these kind of? None of these guys are, are flawless, obviously, but they're quite forward thinking and and went on to be successful in the game and obviously have a sort of seem to have a a wider view of the game. Is that something that Watford? Are, good at attracting would you say and, and and also what did you learn from from working alongside those guys how did they react to being at Watford at that time at the time and looking back on it I feel really privileged to have been surrounded by such a wonderful group of people and talented people but at the time it wasn't apparent that that group of people were as talented as they've ended up becoming does that make sense so right. we were just a group yeah, of yeah, absolutely. who loved it we absolutely loved working for Watford and we will reflect back on our time at Watford as that'll be hard to beat ever but we were just a group of lads turning up to work loving it doing our best you fast forward 10 years you look back and go wow that was a really talented group of guys and not only did we do our best but we we did a half decent job hindsight is everything with regards to and you named some wonderful people there as you say Sean Dyche, Malcolm Mackay, Brendan Rogers, Eddie Boothroyd, Mark Warburton, Dave Hockaday had a go at being a, a first-team manager. Dave Dodds was a, a, a wonderful influence on everybody there as academy manager prior to Mark Warburton and, and then me. And I'm sure I've forgotten some people. Dick Bate, people would not know about, but he's regarded as... He sadly passed away, I think, two years ago, but Dick was um, the technical director and he was one of the greatest coach developers this country has ever seen. And we were all sitting in the same room, kind of challenging each other, learning stuff and having a great time. I think Watford probably attracted people that were a good fit for its organisation. And Graham Taylor's influence, which still lives on, meant that it, it attracted individuals who were humble, hardworking, committed to youth, committed to the community, committed to doing things the right way, a bit of a people first approach. That was the organisation and therefore it attracted people that were like that. So I think all those people were there because they were a good fit for the organisation, and then I think there was just a bit of chance and timing that meant all those people came together at one time, and, uh, you know, have since learnt from that experience. I think there's a little piece of their Watford experience still exists in each one of us at our current clubs. No matter what that club looks like or the stature of that club, there is a little piece of the Watford approach that we've all taken with us. Good people doing good things at a at a good club by the sounds of it. Nick, we, we talked about a team sheet, but I think ultimately you produced 52 players who featured in and around the first team squad, which is an incredible achievement by, by anyone's standard. So we talked initially about the team sheet, but um, just fair play for doing such an in incredible job. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to, to talk about that. And uh, sorry that Watford beat Man United earlier on in the season. Uh, I could just about cope with it, but didn't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! It was weirdly beautiful to hear, Mike, about what Watford used to be like. Did you did you yearn for those times, or were you like, it was lovely we had it, but thank God we are where we are now? <laughs> 
the latter i think i think yearning for those times would be not sensible but it what it did do it 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 conjured up those memories it made them vivid it repainted those the picture that we were all experiencing back then and it was it was so different wasn't it and and not necessarily in a, in a bad way but it was completely different and we didn't have the hopes and and fears that we we do now did we and just just hearing nick talk is it's like getting into a, a tardis or a time capsule and going back to a different time you can almost see the east stand there can't you They're decrepit <laughs> and, un, and unusable and i think it's so important as as football supporters particularly of of ones like watford where there's been a lot of change um, and the footballing landscape has changed to to remember how our recent history to look back at what things were like tumultuous unsure uncertain but all the time um what, what it reinforced for me is that there's people working at that club who care deeply about Watford Football Club and who care deeply about the sport. Nicky obviously feels very, uh, very strongly about what he does. He wouldn't do what he did if he didn't. So I just think it's so rewarding, A, to go back and remember what it was like and see how far we've come as a, a football club, but also to know that there are people with that carry Watford and, and football in their heart. And that's kind of what makes the, the sport great, isn't it? Thank you very much to Nick. And remember, as part of the Athletic Podcast Network from the Ukraine can offer you a special 90-day trial of The Athletic. All you need to do is go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. And there you will be able to find out what all the journalists do. They're big in-depth dives into topics such as youth football and finding more about what is going on at all the different clubs they cover, including Watford, including Watford and the rest of the Premier League. Next up, a very different sort of character uh, and an interview that we did with Barry from Watford. Some of you may know of Barry. Uh, He, of course, was born in Watford a long, long time ago and you may have heard him on Steve Wright uh, or even on Noel Edmonds' old television show, Cheap, Cheap, Cheap. Uh, Yes, he's certainly different from Nick. We go from the youth with Nick to maybe this slightly more older with Barry from Watford. And we caught up with him to find out about how the older Watford fan feel how Watford Football Club are influencing the town. Barry, uh, you know, Watford at the moment are a Premier League football club um, and you would have seen you know, many changes over Vicarage Road. Do you think it's a good thing for, for Watford to be a Premier League football club? First of all, hello. Hello, yes. how we normally start <laughs> these, like... these sorts of things. <laughs> Manners uh, make make if the man or or woman I don't want to be uh, sexist. I was being showbiz, Barry. I thought that we that we'd already done that. But anyway, carry on. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> None of it matters. But it would be nice, wouldn't it? You know. Good day to you, sir. A good day. Thank you. What was the question again? Sorry, can we... <laughs> as a Watfordian and, yes. and a Watford, yeah, going to Vicarage Road. Is it good that Watford are a Premier League football club? Of of course, it's a, a wonderful thing. It's even better was this idea about Watford moving their stadium. Is that true up near the old, up near Bushy Hill Road? It's a rumour. I don't know if it's true or not. Would you be against that? Well, it's nearer my house, and whilst ah. it will be a massive inconvenience for everyone up there. And it will be cars, it will be awful. I say Sodom, because it's not... <laughs> it's, it's easier for me to walk there, you know. And quite honestly, it's not my house there. Barry, so, what uh, happened to those manners? What happened to those manners you were talking about? Well, you're absolutely right. 
You're absolutely right. And it might have been managed to introduce this latest voice that's come through, who I've no idea who it is. <laughs> Sorry, Perry. My, my name's Mike. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Isn't oh, it? Mike, it's you. Hello, son. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Lovely to speak to you. And with you, of course. Now, you're a proud Watfordian, as we've uh, mentioned. We've been doing this, this podcast for 10 years. I know you're a seasoned podcaster yourself. Yes, it's... All... It seems longer, but go on, yeah. It's what, so, so in these 10 years that we've been doing the, the podcast, Barry, what, yeah. what, what do you think Watford Football Club has delivered for the local area? What does it mean to you? Well, first of all, can I just say this? I'm well up with social media and uh, podcasting. I've got a new phrase uh, over the lockdown, which is I often feel vlogulated vlogulated which is the obligation when you stumble across somebody's live insta uh, post or live facebook often i discover i'm the only one in the world watching and i'm vlogulated to stay in there and watch it i think christ there's only one person watching and thankfully with your podcast you get many more people than that so um, I want to say that. What have I? What was the question again? Sorry, I've got amnesia. Hello. That's, that's quite all right, Barry. We understood. We under, We love you introducing that new word to our vocabulary. But it's more yeah. about you as a Watfordian, a proud Watfordian. Yeah. What? What, yeah. Has the, what has the club done for the town over the last ten years or so? Well, absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful that they're in the Premiership. I love it. You get a, a better class of uh, teams turning up. I remember, uh, you know, going to see what they used to do a lot of just hoofing it. There'd be a lot of throw-ins, a lot of throw-ins I've seen over the years at Watford. But um, I think it's wonderful. It's brought a lot to the town. Everything's gone up. I mean, club composure in Market Street is now, of course, diamonds and strings. Uh, that's gone up. Uh, <laughs> I always think for what goes on in their strings is a rather unfortunate uh, <laughs> part of the uh, title of the thing. But, um, yeah, no, everything's gone up nicely in Watford it's just it's just brought money and a bit more class to the area and you know it's nice to see the ground full it's nice to but you know some of that gammon that they serve there is not great I've, I've you know if you get there too early and it's not quite cooked that can be a problem speaking <laughs> but, of speaking of food Barry I'm dreadfully sorry to interrupt I know that's not yeah. done thing, but I know you got a you have a penchant for biscuits you like you make oh, very, part. very much so yeah yeah but if you could describe Watford as a biscuit, which what, what would they be, do you think? It, it, well, Watford is the Viscount of all of biscuit course. clubs. I mean, if you go for your sort of Middlesbroughs, which are more of a bourbon or a custard cream, it's a nothing. It's a nothing biscuit. It's it's almost a biscuit provided by the council. <laughs> Watford is very much the Viscount. It's got very flashy exterior. It's got the solid biscuit, the solid club. It's trying to build solid foundations. And to mix metaphors, the cherry on the cake is the lovely, creamy, minty, fresh uh, sandwich filling, which is some of the new, you know, imports from the foreign teams that we've seen, you know. <laughs> so Watford is the Viscount. That's what I'll say. And Luton, Luton's a rich tea, isn't it? No, what about these new these foreign players, or even not just the foreign players, the modern day footballers yeah. uh, that Watford have, like Troy Deeney? Yes. Um, are, are, the, are these what we, what we deem? You know, we're older, as like yourself, yes. Barry. Right. You know, you know, they're boys. Are right. they are they good boys? Are they the, the people that you think should be representing our town? Well, I think you'd 
they don't get in trouble so much, do they? You don't hear them falling out of uh, diamonds and strings, for example, <laughs> do you? Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> try doing it the like They all have to keep themselves, you know, but well-behaved, well-behaved. And, uh, you know, I think that that's quite a good thing, isn't it? You know, you don't get from, like, 15, 20 years ago, you know, we're always in trouble. And I think that's very good, and they're a credit to the town. Barry, eagle-eyed listeners will have heard you mention, um, uh, what's it called, Diamonds and Strings? Yes. You'll have heard you mention that probably more than you've mentioned Vicarage well, Road. Well, I am a VIP <laughs> member there. It's, it's sort of me. There's a roped-off area for Watford celebrities. <laughs> there was me, uh, Bradley Walsh, uh, Graham Taylor used to go <laughs> back in the day. Wonderful. The curtains open at 7 o'clock, literally. And what I think is wonderful... <laughs> no, I, I'm not sponsored by Diamonds and Streets. <laughs> Don't sit too close to the stage you'll get a nasty crack in the face but what I think happens is that, that as I say with the money in the town places like Diamonds and Strings I've said Diamonds and Strings again I am not sponsored <laughs> that. however however if they want to offer me a new platinum membership you know I will be more than happy to accept it that's Diamonds and Strings on Market Street <laughs> excellent value ask for Cheryl particularly Barry, are you going to uh, are you going to invite any of the players up there with you soon? <laughs> well, possibly, yeah. I mean, there are a few of them I've seen in there. To be perfectly honest, you know, no, I, I don't know. I mean, there's not a lot of room in there, really, from what I'm told. Uh, you know, I, I obviously have my usual chair by the bar, usual a pewter a pewter tankard behind the bar. Your usual, Barry. Yes, please. <laughs> a large double. <laughs> As I alluded to there, you're you're getting on a bit. It's fair to say I'm not going to be rude enough to ask you your your age, but certainly yeah, well, north I'm of. Yeah, I'm still 82. I've been like for about 10 years now. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And so you'll have seen some things in in your time, of course, in in Watford. Oh yeah. They get getting to the FA Cup final, getting promoted, and of course, what Watford uh, supporters like to do when they're not in diamonds and strings is to celebrate uh, big events by getting into the pond, of course, on on Watford yes. High Street. Have you ever been in Barry? I have been in that pond um, and spent not long after in Watford General with the <laughs> typhoid. But uh, now, I mean, I think it's very kind of the mayor and mayoress of Watford to destroy the market and give us that sort of apology for a thing that they've got in Watford now. Not quite what it used to be. And I used to love that old market. Uh, I'd like to see more of a market up the top end of town, to be perfectly honest. I mean, if you go, there's an area of Watford just near Gibson's, you know, just around there. A wonderful Gibson's, if you're listening, lovely, for all your pork chop needs. <laughs> that's Gibson's. And just around the corner from Diamonds and Strings. <laughs> Don't leave your lamb chops in Diamonds and Strings, whatever you do, which I have done. You have to go back very tail between your legs and say it was a wonderful evening's entertainment, but uh, there is uh, some pork chops and a lovely <laughs> and a chicken with some giblets that I left down next to my chair. No, um, Gibson just around there. there. What I do find sad is up that area of town, up there near the pond. There's about four or five charity shops, isn't there, in a row? Yeah. 
And, you know, it's terrible what's happened to, you know, family men I know have gone out of business in what, I'd say that. The wonderful thing is I did manage to pick up an entire series of Lovejoy <laughs> from the uh, the pet charity shop. So every cloud sort of thing. But, you know, no, I mean, that's the only thing. I'd like to see it tarted up a bit more there. If I could steer the, the conversation perhaps away from stripping to strips. And one, <laughs> yes. of the, one of the biggest debates, Barry, amongst uh, Watford supporters is about yeah. the kit and whether they should wear red and black shorts. Now, a man with your sartorial elegance and your finger on the pulse what do you t- what's your take on that red or black shorts barry i like the red shorts mm. and i've got to be honest mm. i don't like the stripes mm. Mm. i don't like the stripes do people like the stripes well the, the, the stripes have sort of gone there just two halves this season we don't know where the new kit deal uh, is going to take right. us um, we hope well i think we're sort of hoping yeah no no just yellow yellow shirts i think well, I hope so. I like the yellow shirts, the red shorts, and maybe yellow socks, you know. But the stripes made all the players look like they were in prison, <laughs> which, quite honestly, after last season, some of them should have been. But no, that's a joke. <laughs> uh, I just, no, I think, I, I don't like the stripes. That's the only thing, really. And red shorts I did like from the glory days. You know. <laughs> A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is from the Rookery End. So, lads, Barry, really, what a character, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was. It's great to hear from some of the elder um, Watford supporters, or certainly the folk of Watford, isn't it? And uh, yeah, we covered a range of uh, range of topics there, didn't we? It's uh, uh, joy to have him on. Not not quite that usual guest, which is it's nice. Good to keep us on our toes. I thought. Yeah, and uh, definitely a contrast uh, from uh, from Nick uh, at the start of, uh, of this episode. But I think that that really shows the two sides of of our little from the Rooker in ten years. Yeah, absolutely. You can't just focus on one part of it. It's the whole. We we talk about the footballing family, the wider footballing world. Um, so it's our responsibility, I think, to uh, to look in as many corners uh, uh, and report on as many corners and talk to as many different people from as many walks of life, as many jobs, as many countries, as many places as physically possible. And yeah, it's one of the one of the lovely things about about doing from the Rookery End for the last ten years has been the sort of breadth of stuff we've discussed about over the years. It's never got bored. It's never got stale because there's always new stuff and new people to talk about and um, yeah that's one of the things that uh, that I'm most proud about about what we've achieved in this uh, in this decade this is the second podcast of our week long celebrationly podcast that we're doing Jason tries Danny Graham uh, but then Thursday we've got a best of uh, we we've had a chat already about a bit about this but does anybody top Barry for in your in your list of guests that we have oh blimey I don't know cuz uh, cuz it's, it's nice to hear someone with who still who still sets their stall on manners uh, <laughs> and I'm not sure if we've had anyone so polite in that sense uh, across the years in terms of guests obviously Gianfranco Zola is a uh, is a big name and we sort of sat there almost in awe when we when we spoke to him up at the training ground all those years ago on what was the dawn of a, of a new era for Watford so I think that one uh, that one stands out for me and let's see, and it does, uh, make it to the Best Of podcast, which will be out on Thursday. And, of course, on Friday, we'll be chatting to Mr Troy Deeney. Mike, that's quite the interview, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's you kind of... 
the, the bar is pretty high when you talk to Troy, isn't it? You know what you're going to get. He's he's open and he's honest, like he was with us um, five years ago already. We sat down with him at the at the Grove for for dinner ahead of head of promotion, and just to just to talk about everything that's happened in in those five years. There's a lot to go at, and and what better person to talk about it from a Watford point of view than than Troy? But also super fascinating to get a a real sort of glimpse behind the curtain as what it's like to be the, the captain of a Premier League uh, football team. Someone who's had an incredible career, continues to have an incredible career, very vocal off the pitch and just a fascinating character. And I, for one, am, am delighted that he's he's a Watford player, delighted he's a Watford captain, proud to have him um, represent our club and, and and feel lucky to get some time to, to talk with him. And he's generous with his time, as as with last time we met for, for dinner. There was nothing on offer this time, no, uh, no three-course <laughs> meal. It was just us. Well, he was talking. barbecuing during the first half of it. He was, he was. But to give up his time, I mean... Great stuff. Really, really interesting. Just as a supporter, from a fan's point of view, a, a thrill to talk to him, and, uh, and I'm pretty sure that everyone will uh, will enjoy that. Listen, really, really good stuff. That'll be out on Friday morning, ready for when you wake up. Uh, but still to come this week. Tomorrow's Wednesday. We'll interview Danny Graham. A best of on Thursday, and Troy Deeney on Friday. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. And thank you to Barry and Nick. Come on, you all. 